Well, please remain standing and take your Bibles and open them to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8 will continue to be the text I used in order to uh, address the circumstance at hand, which is uh, the Equal uh, Protection Act that should be coming before the Georgia legislature, hopefully soon, representatives for their vote. And hopefully they will see um, that abortion be ended in this state for good. And they have the opportunity to do this. And these series of sermons have been not only to motivate us to understand what the Bible has to say about this topic and issue, but also that we might encourage not just our uh, representatives, our state representatives, but that when we engage others, we would have a substantive argument. We'd have the truth. And we would be able to handle the naysayers. We'd be able to address the Uh, reasons or excuses given why we should not see abortion ended in this state. As Christians, brothers and sisters, we must stand upon God's word. And we must not, we must do it without compromise and we must never apologize for it. So, Proverbs chapter 8, verse 32, and may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of this word. Now, therefore, O sons, listen to me, For blessed are they who keep my ways. Heed instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorpost. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me injures himself. And all those who hate me love death. And thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Now, brothers and sisters, this morning, I want to move from the fifth commandment somewhat to the sixth commandment. Hopefully, you know what the sixth commandment is. Thou shalt not kill. If you would, take your Bibles and turn them open to Exodus chapter 20. I want you to remember where the 10 words, that's what the law is called in Hebrew, the 10 words of God, these 10 commandments. The 10 commandments are a summation, a summary, not the full thing, but a summary of God's moral law, or what we might call God's natural law, that law that was originally written upon the heart of men at creation. This is what was on Adam's heart. This is what was on Eve's heart in the very beginning. And this is what God re-inscribes on each heart at regeneration. At regeneration. Exodus chapter 20. At verse 13, look at that small verse. You shall not murder. It's not only found in Exodus 20, but a summary of God's law is found in Deuteronomy chapter 5. 
the republication, if you will, of the law, the Deuteral law. That's what Deuteronomy means. Deuteral law, the recopied law, that was being emphasized as the nation of Israel was about to leave the desert and enter into the promised land. And God was, through Moses, affirming with them his covenant, his love, his kindness and mercy, and he was directing them morally with these commandments and others flowing from them the duties that they owed not just to him but to one another. Again, let me reemphasize something that I have along the way. Jesus summarizes these 10 words with two laws. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. That summarizes the first table of the law, those first four commandments. And he says, the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And that's the summary of the second table of the law. The fifth commandment on. The first commandment and the fifth commandment sit as heads of each table. Now, this is very important. Heads. Out of the first commandment, which is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. We just confessed that this morning. As in our confession of faith. Out of that first commandment, where we are told that we are not to have any other gods besides him. We're not to be guilty of idolatry. We're not to worship any gods fabricated by others or ourselves. And we're not to worship anything in our lives as God. Nothing should in our lives usurp his headship. He is primary. He is the sovereign one. He is the superior. He takes precedent. He's the first place in our lives. And the second commandment flows from that, how we will worship God. He regulates how we are to worship him. The third commandment flows out of that, how we are to use our speech with God. We should not take his name in vain. We should honor him with our words. We should honor his teaching. We should honor his doctrine. We should honor his person and work. We should speak highly of him. We should esteem him in all of our speech. That makes sense. Notice, flowing out of that first commandment. And of course, the fourth commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy. Not only should we worship him, that makes sense. If there is a God, he should be worshiped. If he is to be worshiped, we should train our tongues to speak highly of him and never use our mouths or of our speech to degrade him in any way. To minimize his glory is a better way to put it. And then... On the Sabbath day, there has to be time for all this, particularly that if we are to gather and worship him, well, there should be a time set apart for that. And he did that. Six days thou shalt labor and do all your work, but on the, sev the seventh is the Sabbath unto the Lord thy God. The fifth sits in the same position as the head of the remaining commandments. 
out of the fifth commandment, which is honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you have long life in the, on the land. It, out of that head commandment, in that commandment, occupies every facet of human relationship. Every facet of human relationship is embedded in that commandment. If you want to know what responsibility you have to your neighbor, study the fifth commandment. If you want to know what responsibility you have as an employer to an employee, study the fifth commandment. If you want to know how to rightly parent, study the fifth commandment. If you want to know how to treat your parents, study the fifth commandment. If you want to know what the duty of congregants to a pastor and pastor to a congregant, study the fifth commandment. And if you want to know what the responsibility of the civil magistrate is to the citizens of their nation, study the fifth commandment. And we obviously lack understanding as a whole. I'm not calling any of you ignorant per se. But the church, by and large, is ignorant of this relationship. And we fail to hold people accountable to their sworn duties because we don't understand the relationship. Or we don't want to be inconvenienced. Or we or there could be a number of other sins that have kept us from holding lawfully the civil magistrates, particularly in our nation, accountable for making and maintaining and supporting just laws. Now, just as it is incumbent upon a parent to train up a child in a way in the way that they should go or parents I should rather say parents are parent to train up a child in the way that they should go that's the duty now there's a lot to that isn't there and I'm not going to open that up that's not the purpose of this series Hopefully along the way, your conscience and your interest have been piqued and you can go back and begin to study this privately and you can open up the word of God yourself. There are numerous aids out there to help you do so. But as parents, the whole point of teaching your children the way that they should go is so that they may live a long, prosperous, and happy life which would begin and include and never exclude believing and trusting in God, the true God, the living God, starting there as that fundamental principle and truth that they must grasp and understand. There's a reason why many of the generation of the reformers, which was the educated generation, I mean, it was out of that revival that education took a foothold in many nations. Before that, there was a great disparity between the elites and everyone else. Well, the Reformation rekindled this need for education and to be able to read and write. And one of the first motivations that they held as dear to them on what to read was the scriptures, the Bible. They desired that 
all men, but especially those under their immediate care, would learn how to read the word of God for themselves so that they could commune with him, so that they could pray and then read scripture and hear his voice coming off of the pages of scripture to them, leading them in righteousness and goodness. That's exciting. But also, what's the role of the church? Well, the, the disciple of the nations, Matthew 28, verse 16 and following. The disciple of the nations, in what? In all of the things that Jesus taught his disciples to teach us. That we would first build upon that foundation that the family has laid, that we would continue and foster as the church, disciples, individuals, and families, right, in that path of liberty and prosperity and goodness. What? Recognizing that it can never, ever be ripped from the theology of who God is in his work. That we must not just be patriots, but we must be theologian patriots. That we must have good motivations and good reasons to stand up and defend our person, our rights, and the rights of our neighbors, especially the rights of those who can't defend themselves. That's called goodness. It's heartbreaking and quite depressing to have access to all of this multimedia when we see it used in an evil way. You know, whenever... uh, I think it's needed and necessary, though... When, when these videos are sent out of people being physically abused and beaten, I will s- confess that my own sensibilities are numbed and I'm outraged. I'm angered by the blatant neglect of common goodness and I'm and I'm not just talking about the oppressor in that situation I'm not just talking about the predator I'm not just talking about the bully I'm talking about all those filming it put the phone down and defend the defenseless The commandment before us, which is the sixth commandment, promotes that goodness. It establishes that goodness. And just as a family has that duty to train up a child in the way they should go, they are in that good 
training, teaching their sons and daughters how to be good, how to be righteous, how to care for one another. And that is the positive aspect of this negative commandment. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not take innocent life unlawfully. Well, it's always unlawful to take innocent life. But, the, but not only the church, the church has a duty to teach God's people what righteousness looks like. And this is what it looks like in, its, in the moral square, in the public square. This is how we should treat one another. This is how we, as Jesus said, to love one another. That we would not in any way in our thoughts murder our neighbor. And Jesus said, if you hate your neighbor, you're guilty of murder. Let's work through some of these and I'll spend more time. I don't want to get ahead of myself as I often do. But out of the fifth commandment flows these duties. This flows, the first duty is what? To protect life. Thou shalt not murder. The seventh commandment flows also out of this fifth commandment. As we love one another, we have the duty to protect marriage. We have a duty to protect that wholesome institution that God created in the very beginning as the foundation and the root of all society, which is marriage between a man and a woman. Anything else is not recognized by God and found offensive to him. And, and I know the typical comeback to that is, well, but I know these, I know this homosexual couple and they're really nice people. I, we ought not to compromise the word of God. We don't make these rules up. We don't make up God's moral law. He makes it up, and we are to abide by it. We are to submit to it. We didn't create these laws. God did. They flow from him. They flow out of him. That's why they're eternal. That's why they're binding on all men in every place, in every circumstance, in every nation, and for all time. The eighth commandment flows from the fifth commandment. That is, we will love one another in the protection of one's personal property. Thou shalt not what? Steal. We don't have the right to go take what's not ours. If it's not ours, you leave it alone. The ninth commandment flows from the fifth commandment. What does the ninth commandment teach us? Well, thou shalt not bear false witness that we have a duty to preserve the truth with one another, not lie about one another, particularly in court proceedings where there's great ramifications or greater ramifications. We don't have the, the privilege to go and just speak about somebody carelessly. Why? Well, just to connect it back to the sixth commandment, which is thou shalt not murder. Do you know you can murder somebody's reputation? 
Do you know that? You know you can speak, you can, you can hate somebody in your heart. You can speak ill against them, lie, malign their testimony, malign their, let's just use the example of a work experience because the corporate world is nothing, it is full of cutthroat people. Envy. To lie about somebody else, have them lose their job, have them unable to get a job of that stature again, and you have just murdered his reputation or her reputation, and you've also stolen from the family. These are not small things. We have to be careful the way we speak about one another, our neighbors, correct? Make sure that we are speaking correctly and accurately and if we don't know then well don't speak and then the 10th commandment flows out of this and it's a duty it's sort of even the 10th commandment it's that last word and there is in the Hebrew syntax oftentimes there's an emphasis or a exclamation mark and the 10th commandment kind of acts as that uh, exclamation mark which is thou shalt not covet You see there that we have a duty to what? Engage ourselves at the heart level to do what? Discipline our appetite so we don't covet our neighbor's wife. We don't covet our neighbor's house. We don't covet our neighbor's belongings. We we govern our appetites. And you can see how violating the 10th commandment breaks them all. When it flows out of that fifth commandment, those responsibilities, those duties, those, 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 the, those public manners that we owe one to another. It's the summation, if you will, of that golden rule, or at least what we call the golden rule, where our Lord taught us on the Sermon on the Mount that we ought to do to others as we would have them do to us. That means even giving an enemy a drink of water. As an act of love. So we see, I hope that's easily proven to you, that these commandments flow, they're connected, it's organic, it's a tapestry. You don't take one, I like this one, but I don't like this one. You have to take them all together. That's the way they were designed. That's the way they're upheld, and that's, well, how they ought to be used. We ought to see them as, here's how I should, what, love my neighbor, and it, sort of, and it does presuppose that there is a love for self. Now, I'm going to speak more about this this morning. I've touched on it a few times, but the sixth commandment is a commandment that even highlights how we are to even love ourselves. It it gives us direction in what biblically speaking is is profitable self-love. Not all self-love is profitable. There can be an, 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 there can be an exceeding Abuse of self-love, the love of lust and pleasure. And we should avoid that. That's sinful. The Bible tells us that the love of the world, 
right? It's sin and that the love of the world is not the love of God. But this self-love that the Bible promotes and then what many of our Reformed fathers and especially even Samuel Willer said is the fundamental law of nature that there is in every image of God a desire for promotion as a motivation to what? Be like God. And the sixth commandment, one of the things that the sixth commandment addresses is suicide, self-murder. The destruction of self is a violation of the sixth commandment. But it's not simply the, the breaking of the commandment in the taking of one life, whether it be quickly or slowly, by neglect of the means of life, right? Talk a little bit about that in a second. But that we should desire all of the good things that God, the living God, the God of life has procured for us in himself. That we should see the image of God in us exalted and strengthened and, and, and brought forth more. And that's sanctification, more and more and more. And by doing that, we then have our happiness, satisfaction, contentment, peace strengthened. Our joy, our happiness, all of those things are fortified in that image, in that walk of obedience, in that fellowship with the living God, in the walking of his commandments. If you go back to Proverbs, I mean, the sixth commandment is highlighted right there in Proverbs 8. If you look back there with me, notice what, through the Holy Spirit, what Solomon said in verse 35. He who finds me finds life. That's the opposite of murder, isn't it? And obtains favor from the Lord. That is, life is a good thing. Life is something to be desired. We should all seek life. And that begins spiritually with believing and trusting in Christ, the acceptance of the gospel, if you will. We ought to understand that there is both soul murder and bodily murder. And Jesus even said to his disciples, do not fear the one that can destroy the body. But fear the one that can take the body and the soul and cast it into hell. There is a priority there. Soul murder is grievous in God's sight. The destruction of the soul. What would it gain a man to have the whole world and lose his soul? Is that verse setting the idea that one soul is worth more than the whole world? What would it gain if someone possessed the whole world but lost their soul? Matthew 16. The idea there is the preciousness, the value of the soul. And like our lives, it ought to be protected with what? Well, what you listen to, what you promote, what you think. 
All of those things that affect the soul, sound doctrine. That's why heresy is so evil in God's sight. That's why false teachers are dealt with so critically in the Bible because what are false teachers? They're soul killers. What is heresy? What is bad doctrine? What is wrong doctrine? Soul killers. You can be depressed and you can be oppressed of both soul and body. Well, beloved, for the sake of this message and for the sake of the series, we are addressing this, this, this duty that the civil magistrates have to this commandment. It's obvious on its face, abortion is a breaking of this commandment, right? I mean, if you believe in such a thing, correct? I mean, you know, even though there are many of these representatives that will profess to be a Christian, very few of them will probably profess to see themselves as subject to the king of glory. You say, well, you know, they're the sort of the heads of the state, if you will. Well, well, Jesus is the Lord of lords. He he supersedes, he overrides, he sits above the civil magistrate. And there is a day of reckoning, there is a court date that all men are going to appear at, and that's the judgment day, where all men will stand before this sovereign tribunal and give an account for every thought, word, and deed. Turn with me to Romans 13. I want to show you this in light of this introduction, in light of what I've already said about the civil magistrate and about the sixth commandment. I think this will help as we read this text of scripture because I've already dealt with the family. You know, what's the purpose of the family to train up the children in the way they should go? Uh, I dealt with the church that make the disciples of the nations. Well, what's the role of the civil magistrate? Well, let's read right there in chapter 13, verse 1. Every person is to be be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear, For good behavior, but for evil, do you uh, do you want to have no fear of authority? Do you do what is good, and you will have praise from the same? For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. The sword is that symbol of power of the civil magistrate. It is the minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon those who practice evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. 
And I'll just stop there. We could go down to verse 8. Own nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You can see what Paul does here. Paul is Paul's capsulates and sets forth what I've already been saying to you this morning, that the civil magistrate bears the sword for the punishment of evil and the promotion of good. And when a government, when a civil magistrate calls evil good and good evil, they are in breaking of God's moral law and in particularly the sixth commandment. And the fifth commandment. Because they have a duty to promote good. They have a duty to solicit good behavior. They have a duty to punish bad behavior. They have a moral duty as civil fathers to promote all that is righteous and good. Well, for the benefit of the people. Now, brothers and sisters... Where I'm going to end up going with this in this lesson is certainly the promotion of, well, who is speaking for the unborn? Now, it doesn't matter. Listen, the civil magistrate's going to stand before God, and it wouldn't matter if no one said, if anybody said anything, we could be completely silent, and they're still complicit and guilty of murder. It doesn't take the fact of the law away. It doesn't take the moral obligation away. It doesn't remove their responsibility as civil magistrates to do what? Promote good and punish evil. And what we are finding and what we are seeing, what we witness every day in this land is the opposite. Praise God it is sprinkled with light. Praise God that it's not all bad. There is things that, that God oversees and God overrides and, and righteousness at times is exalted. Uh, a case being this last week that that pastor that had been arrested for praying outside of an abortion clinic two years ago, singing hymns, was arrested and acquitted. Praise God, he never should have been arrested. But praise God, the judge saw fit to throw the case out. We can see other aspects of this commandment. If you would, turn with me to 2 Thessalonians. And again, I'm, I'm, in some ways, I'm showing you the rich broadness of the commandment. Um, how to read your Bibles, showing you how to read your Bibles, how to relate the text of scriptures back to their moral duties, if you will. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, look at verse 8 and then 10. What is, uh, Paul is talking about his ministry there, verse 7 and 8. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. 
because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. Now, that is a keeping of the fifth commandment. What are superiors supposed to be? Examples. Examples. Paul is saying, I and my team, my ministry team, when we were among you, we walked as examples before you of godliness and righteousness. Verse 8, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Again, here's the sixth commandment. Paul is recognizing that there is, if, if, if the sixth commandment is the duty to promote and protect life, that means those means that promote life, sustain life, and, and maintain life ought to be heightened and strengthened and advocated, such as work. Work is a good thing. Work helps put bread on the table, doesn't it? And what Paul is saying is, I was responsible. I walked among you as a, a moral example, if you will. That is, I didn't take anything from you that I did not earn by my labors in your midst. I labored for my keep. I kept God's law. I worked among you. I did not sponge off of you. I wasn't a welfare person. I labored. And again, I have to say this. The American welfare system is a slow killing system. It murders people slowly. It murders their integrity. It murders their dignity. It murders the very, I mean, it murders the image of God in them. It reduces them to a pitiful and poor state that is unbecoming of the image of God. Paul says, this is what Paul, this is, this is out of that what Paul says. Now look at verse 10. Or let's read 9 and 10 together. Not because we do not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, and then he is not to eat either. Now, he's not talking about someone who can't work. That would be legitimate welfare. He's talking about someone who can work, who refuses to work. By refusing to work, that person is refusing to maintain his own life. And Paul says, do not feed him. Why? Is it unloving? It's unloving to sustain him in that sinful state because when he gets hungry enough, he will work and he will provide for himself. Why? Because there is a basic natural instinct given to us by God to do what? Protect ourselves and to feed ourselves and to promote ourselves. We just have to make sure it's in a biblical manner. You might have said this yourselves. I know you've probably heard it, but it flows out of this. You can't help 
those that will not help themselves. You can't. It is, if one will not rise biblically to the occasion, to that certain degree and level of, of humanity, dignity, you can't help them. Because they are bent, as Proverbs says, to destroy themselves. Remember what Proverbs 8 says. He who sins against me sins against himself. And that's an unavoidable natural fact of life. Let's turn at least to the, the psalm that I think is going to help us sort of encapsulate all of this as we close this message and that is Psalm 82. Now Psalm 82 is a psalm addressing the civil magistrate. You might surprise, it might be surprising to you what you hear in this psalm but it is a psalm of Asaph that is a rebuke against ungodly civil magistrates. Now, let me read the psalm. It's only eight verses, and then we'll begin bringing out some of its parts and make an application for our lesson this morning. Verse 1, God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Vindicate the weak and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. And they do not know nor do they understand that they walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are God's. And all of you are the sons of the Most High. Nevertheless, you will die like men and fall like any one of the princes. Arise, O God, and judge the earth, for it is you who possesses all the nations. Hopefully, you've already picked up on several admonitions this psalm gives to the present civil magistrate we have not only in our country, but even in our state. First of all, look at verse one. Notice who takes the stand among the judges of the earth? Who takes this, his rightful place? Who sits as the head of these magistrates or these rulers? Well, it says God. God does, why? Because God is the superior of superiors. God is the head of heaven and earth. God is the head of all rule and power. And when any power is being used abusively, they must answer to God. I mean, look, let's face it. We're handcuffed when it comes to doing much in Washington. Amen? And what we've realized is, well, elections don't help either. It's God who takes his stand. It is the civil magistrate that must understand that there is a higher authority and power than themselves. And see, that's the problem with the elite, isn't it? 
or that's the problem with that elite class, even though they are elected and whatnot, those who stay in power for too long become deluded with this idea that they answer to no one. Well, they may not answer to us. They should, they don't, but they will answer to God, verse 1. All right, look at verse 2. Notice the rebuke. How long will you judge unjustly and show partially partiality to the wicked? This is the admonition. This is the indictment. What does God, what's God's indictment to the civil magistrates? You are judging unjustly. You're not righteous in your judgments. You're not promoting good. You're not promoting well-being. You're not promoting uh, life. You're you're disintegrating life. Why? By your oppressive judgments. Whenever the wicked are exalted, the Bible says it oppresses the nation. And oppression is a form of death. Economic oppression. When you can't afford basic necessities, when you can't afford to clothe yourself rightly, when you can't afford to put food on the table, when you can't afford to support your church, when you can't afford for those basic things in life, you will become depressed. That's why God divinely ordained civil government to what? Promote life. And when civil government doesn't promote life, they are useless. And they are in need of being judged by God. And God does judge the nations. Look at verse 8. Arise, O God, judge the earth. When he says judge the earth, what is he talking about? He's talking about these civil magistrates, these judges. For it is you who possess the nations. Partiality. You know, one of the worst things that ever happened to our political system are lobbyists. Now, can you lobby for something good? Sure. But it's not... But when you have scores of money being thrown at conservatives to take a position that is offensive to God, that is a horrible crime before the God of heaven. And we should be appalled by it. As Christians, we should be appalled by it. We should not sit back and go, hmm, let me think about that. Oh, you know what? I kind of see your wisdom. No, I don't see your wisdom in it. If it's evil in God's sight today, it's evil in God's sight tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. It's kind of like, you know, this this idea that we're going to mitigate abortions. Well, we're going to do 10,000 this year, 8,000 next year, 7,000. No, it's like going to the adulterer and saying, okay, look, okay, I'm only going to do, I'm only going to have adultery this many times this year. And then, I mean, we would all laugh at that. And yet that's what we're saying about murder. Why? Because of verse 2, there's partiality being shown to those that have the money to throw at our conservative representatives. You want the title of conservative? You want the title that you are, you know, pro-life? Well, you better, you, you better get in line. And that's what's happening to Representative Dunahee right now. 
his conservative friends are coming along beside him and they're saying, listen, you need to put this Equal Protection Act down. You don't need to, you don't need to, we've we got a bill that addresses this. It's good. Hey, it's accepted. It's already done. You don't need this. It's partiality to the wicked. And we need to continue to pray that he will stand firm and strong in this battle. Look at verse 3. Vindicate, now he's saying this is what they should be doing. Vindicate the weak and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. I could have pulled up dozens of verses saying that. But I just went to this psalm to give you a place to go. This is their role. This is what they ought to be doing. They ought to be vindicating the weak, protecting the fatherless. Why? Because they don't have a father to do it. And that's part of the problem in our culture. Listen to me. I realize that we are in a mess. And I realize that it's not just the civil magistrate. We have, got, we have the breakdown of every institution. The family is broken. The church is broken. And the civil magistrate's broken. Why? Because we have gone after other gods. We have become idolaters and it has offended God. Hosea chapter 13, God says, I established kings in my wrath, meaning this is what you wanted. I gave you representatives and a president and presidents that reflect your own lusts and appetites. That's why I said we're not going into judgment, brothers and sisters. We're in judgment. We're under judgment. And this has, looks to me, a ways to go. This is the role of the civil magistrate. It's not to show partiality to the weak. It's not to, to ignore the strong. It's, it's to make sure the weak's not run over. It's to make sure that the fatherless has a, a correct representative. Now, their court system was a little bit different than ours, but it's still similar. In their day, in this Hebrew court system, you would have your best friend be your advocate, not an attorney. Your best friend who knew you the best, who knew you the longest, who knew you the deepest and the most intimate, they would come and they would plead your case of character. And how much more a father that could say, this is my son or this is my daughter and this is what I know of them and this is what I've seen of them. This is what I've seen them do in private. This is how I've seen them act. Well, they don't have this advocate. So the civil magistrate is to make sure they're not abused in the process. You know, that's a basic human dignity, isn't it? It's always embarrassing when you see the weak run over in court because they're weak. And, and you know, we could say, well, it, it, it's all of these different classes. It's, you know, it's male and female. Look, bottom line is in this nation, if you've got enough money, you're, you're good. It's the have and have nots. It's the problem. We don't have the money, nor are we in those clubs 
right? When we go to court, we don't know what kind of justice we're going to get. We don't know. And that's a bad thing. Verse 5, they do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness, all the foundations of the earth. are Now look at verse 5. Verse 5 teaches us that part of the problem of these civil magistrates is their ignorance. It's not that they're, okay, it's not that they're dumb, but they're ignorant of the ways of God. They don't understand. What do they do? They walk in darkness. You know what's in a, even more depressing is when we hear, they don't even know what the Constitution says. Your civil, your, your civil magistrates don't even know the law of the land. They don't even know what the Constitution says. They don't even know the Bill of Rights. They don't even know what the state Constitution says. They're ignorant, but they're also ignorant of God's law. And notice what verse 5 says. They represent what? All the foundations of the earth are shaken when this happens. That is when superiors who should know better, who should have a great handle on these moral truths and manners, when they don't, the earth, the foundations of the earth are shaken. That's, that's bad. Society is, is, is shook when the leaders and the superiors cannot protect the weak and will not protect the weak and will not uh, rescue the fatherless. Verse 6, I said, the psalmist, you are God's and all of you are the sons of the Most High. What is verse 6? What do you, Pastor, what does that verse mean? They sit in the seat of God as a superior, as one that is a promote the health, the well-being, the outward public love, manners, uh, security of a nation. He says, you act as gods. Why do you think God is so offended when the civil magistrates turn their back on him? The civil magistrates sit as the judges of the earth in the seat of God and should rule accordingly. Verse 7, nevertheless, you will die like men and fall like any of one of the princes. Meaning, your day will come to an end. You have a short period of time on this earth and then it's over and then you will stand before the judgment seat of God. Now, this is, to the, this is to the magistrates. This is to the kings of the earth. These are to the princes. These are to the judges. These are to the governors. These are to the senators. These are to the congresspeople. You will fall. You're not above the people you judge over. You're not above the people you oppress. You're not better than they are. You too will take a last breath just like they will. And when that happens, you will stand before God. And you will give an account for your oppression. You will give an account for having that esteemed title. You are gods and abusing it. And you will stand before the judge of heaven and earth. The one who possesses all the nations. Brothers and sisters. Our Georgia representatives must pass this law. 
They must pass this bill. They must make it law if they're going to please the God of heaven. If they are going to rightly reflect being as gods sitting over men in that legislator, in that body where they are to, where they have the power to create law, then they must do what's right in the sovereign God of glory's eyes. They must. If they don't, then we either have to vote them out or we will bear the great wrath of Almighty God upon this state as we are a nation. I'm not trying to paint a a horrible picture. I'm just telling the truth. Hopefully we as citizens will rise up. You know, if we're not praying for them, we're guilty of murder. We don't want to be complicit We want to pray for them. We want to uphold them. We want to honor them. But we also want to hold them accountable. If they are to be worthy of all of these accolades, they must be worthy of all of these responsibilities. And if they don't perform them, then they are worthy of double judgment. These are weighty things, brothers and sisters, but we live in a day and time where we can no longer Ignore the fact that the Lord is exercising his sovereignty in the earth and in our nation. And unfortunately, he has given us what we deserve. Praise God, he hadn't given us everything we deserve. Praise God, he still holds them in his hands and he has not allowed them to be as evil as they probably want to be. And praise God that there are some up there like Representative Donahue that want to do the right thing. And we must exalt and honor those men and women. We must let everybody know that's the kind of representative we're looking for right there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. It shows us the way. It shows us where we are and it shows us where we're going. And Lord, we are embarrassed as a people, as a, as a state, we are embarrassed of where we are. Come, O oh Lord, remedy this evil. Move upon the hearts of these men and women in the Georgia body of representatives. Lord, bring advocates to come alongside of Representative Donahue. Bring sponsors that will come and stand with him. Lord, remove the cowardice that exists up there. And I pray that the lobbyists would, Lord, that their message would fall upon deaf ears, that their message and their money would be despised that there is only one path to honoring you in this, and that is the ceasing of all abortions and not giving privilege to some preborn children and not all of them. Father, have mercy upon us in Christ, our Lord. 
move upon us now to prepare to take the Lord's Supper, Lord, that we might have our hearts constrained to your glory and will and that we might be strengthened and empowered with all hope, joy, and love and kindness, Lord, to carry out, Lord, the work before us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.